my name is Colleen Getty and we are here with Rebecca Caprara doing our Room to Write series, The Journey of a Story, where we learn about different local writers and how they write. So welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much for having me, Colleen. You're welcome. Um, so uh, I'm going to start out by asking you to sort of paint a picture for us about uh, in your real life, what does it look like when you're writing? Do you just uh, have a specific place? Do you have a specific um, uh, way that you write, like on a computer, on a piece of paper? You know, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, what it looks like when sure. you write? Sure. Um, so I typically I have two small children at home, so the time that I have allotted to write is very small and it often exists in these interrupted slivers <laughs> so I've kind of had to adapt my writing style um, and so I when they were small I would only write during their nap times um, and I would sort of brainstorm during my commute to work um, so that by the time I had that chunk of time I would just sit down and I already had kind of formulated in my mind what I wanted to get down on the page and most case I write uh, with my laptop. I always carry a sketchbook or a notebook with me so if I don't have my computer nearby I can write down an idea before it uh, you know, flies out of my head. Um, but I actually spend a lot of time writing in the front seat of my car. Um, I, <laughs> my children don't really nap as regularly anymore but they often fall asleep in the car on the way to do errands. So I've kind of gotten into the habit of packing the diaper bag with the wipes and the snacks and the bottles, but then also a fully charged laptop. And so <laughs> as soon as I see them in the rearview mirror both fall asleep, I swerve into the first parking lot I can find. I park, I'll type up a chapter, and then that's like my writing for the day. And it's definitely not the most efficient system by any <laughs> means, but it works. And that's how I've slowly you know, been able to uh, create a couple manuscripts over the last few years, so. That's amazing, <laughs> and it sounds extremely efficient to me. I think I should be like the official writer in residence of the, mar of the Market Basket parking lot or something. <laughs> <laughs> you should tell them you're out yeah. there. Maybe they'll bring at least a, you know, a muffin or something. <laughs> um, nice. That's awesome, and, I, and that you know, is a great way to, um, you know, because when people are trying to write, there's all sorts of real life scenarios that uh, sort of dictate when you write, because that usually ends up at the end of your list. So. Uh, something I'm interested in, how did you decide or did you decide this is at the top of my list and I'm going to make it happen? Uh, was that something that you always did your whole life? Is that something after your mom you decided to start writing more? Like, so when did you start writing and, and how did it change and how did you not just you know do with a lot of moms like us <laughs> what happens is you feel guilty because oh well maybe I should be doing laundry or maybe I should be yeah. doing whatever um, and trying to make it a priority because I think that's how hard for a lot of people I know it's hard for me yeah absolutely um, it's you know I've always been interested in writing my mom is a poet my father would read to me every night at bedtime when I was a child so I definitely grew up with kind of a, a love for words and stories um, and then, you know, through the years I wrote, I wrote little stories and poems in elementary school and I edited my high school's literary magazine and in college I kind of tried my hand at screenwriting, but I never really did it in earnest. I studied architecture in school and then went on to a career in architecture and design because I always sort of, even though I dreamed of becoming an author, it felt really risky for a long time and it felt almost frivolous and mm. um, which is not true, but I just, that's, it also felt very vulnerable to kind of open yourself up, put your your heart out on a page and then you know have other people read that so it took me a while to get to that place of writing in earnest and and deciding and sort of acknowledging that I really wanted to try it as a career mm -hmm. um, to become a published author and so um, 
It what, was what helped make that decision. Like, yeah, the when trigger. Did that, yeah, it was actually my husband and I were taking a travel sabbatical from our jobs. We had six months off, and we were literally just backpacking around the world. And at that time, we had sort of the time and space to take a deep breath and reflect on what we wanted the future to look like, and kind of coming to terms with this long, this long-held dream of mine to be a writer. And um, while I travel, I always keep a notebook. So I started jotting down ideas. And um, I knew I wanted to write a story for children. And it kind of evolved during that trip. And so when I came home from that, I um, sat down like for the next three months and just hammered out a draft of a, my first middle grade book. And I was proud of it. Uh, and I circulated it to people. But I quickly realized that it was a mess. It was like a total disaster. And it needed, I needed to go back to square one. And I needed to learn so much more. And so did you self-publish that, or did you just... I did not. What, I, how did you circulate it? And so I just sent it to friends and family at first. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't have a community of writers at that time, which is since then has been a huge piece of like my path to publication is connecting with other authors um, to learn from, but also just as a support network to kind of cheer you on through the, the ups and downs. Um, so that manuscript, I, I worked on a lot. I revised it. I queried it to agents. I got heaps of rejections. Um, and I actually, I was accepted into a writing workshop in California for that, that book. And I took it out and I was working on it and I felt really stuck one day. And so I needed to clear my head and we were out in Big Sur, which is gorgeous. And I went for this hike through these redwood forests. And um, I remember this like silvery fog rolled in. I looked up at these massive trees and I was like, oh my gosh, there's magic here. There's definitely magic here. And then I had this idea for a book about a magical tree. And I ran back to my cabin and typed up what became the first chapter of The Magic of Melwick Orchard, which is now coming out nearly five years later uh, this mm -hmm. September. But So I ended up scrapping that very first manuscript, and then a new idea sort of took its place. So that was a long-winded okay. no, <laughs> description. Great. And so let's talk a little bit about how you realized you needed to sort of surround yourself with a community. And, and so how does a, a writer who hasn't done that yet, like what are some of the things that you did that helped you to find the right people or find the right group to sort of motivate you to continue? Yeah. Like, what's that look like? The, for me, the starting point was um, SCBWI, which you and I met at. Mm -hmm. um, it's the Society of Children's Book uh, Writers and Illustrators. And they have lots of local chapters, so I'm part of the New England chapter. And that was like ground zero for me. So I went, I think, six or seven years ago to my first conference, the New England, the spring mm -hmm. um, conference. And I knew nothing and no one. And it felt like everyone else you know, we're in these cliques of people and they, you know, they had books out and they knew what they were doing and I was just like wide-eyed and, <laughs> you know, just taking it all in. Um, but what really struck me was how welcoming everyone was and how generous um, and encouraging that kid-lit community um, was. And so um, I got more involved with them. I took workshops and classes and they connected me with my first critique group and then a second critique group. Uh, so that's really how I began to build community and hone my craft and, and also just learn the ins and outs of the industry. Because it's one thing to write a beautiful story, it's another thing to get it published. And they're obviously very related, but very different beasts as right. well. And, um, and sort of circling back to when you started connecting with SCBWI and that, uh, 
a writers, or I won't say every writer, but most writers just want to sit in a room and write. <laughs> so uh, what part do you feel like that you actually had to force yourself to sort of step out of your comfort zone, or were you comfortable with just throwing yourself into a conference or whatever? You know, maybe talk a little bit about like actually having to step outside of your comfort zone to do some things mm -hmm. in order to grow as a writer, and if you want to get published, like what part does that play? Yeah, I think the part that's always nerve-wracking is putting your work out there for the first time. It's a very vulnerable place. Um, but thankfully, I was part of critique groups that were encouraging. Mm -hmm. So um, you know, I think putting your work out there and then being receptive to that constructive feedback um, and being open to changing things. And as they always say, killing your darlings, like not holding <laughs> your words too precious and, and letting go and, and absorbing as much of that feedback as you can. Um, that was definitely, I had come from a, the architecture background where you get your work critiqued often, mm. but it felt a little bit different when it's words on the page as opposed to designs for buildings. It felt more personal, I mm. think. Um, so that's been a big part of it. Nice. Um, and so let's sort of talk about, uh, we haven't had a middle grade writer on here, so I'm interested to find out a little bit more about, is that different from different genres? How do you decide whether you're a middle grade versus a, a young adult, and you know what are the age ages you're writing for, and uh, also sort of how much did that play in when you were trying to think about your book? I mean, I know as a mom, and I feel this too that, or, and I don't know if you feel this, but I, <laughs> when I'm writing, I sort of have the fact that maybe my kids will read this someday in the back of my mind. Yeah. So uh, I'm just curious when you're creating that story. Does that play a part? Um, and then, you know, again, why the middle grade level? Was that just something that spoke to you? Or, you know, kind of talk about that genre a sure. little bit. So I write primarily middle grade. I also write picture books. Um, but middle grade to me, that's when I look back on my own childhood, that sort of age range, like 8 to 14, give or take a year on either side, that was sort of, those were sort of my most rich reading years. Um, you know, I was talking about my dad reading to me every night as a child, and I just remember in bed being like, one more chapter, one more chapter, you know, reading Rodal and The Borrowers and The Boxcar Children and just loving those stories and that, that particular time in my childhood. And I, I think middle grade is such an interesting time in a person's life um, because you're, you're beginning to figure out um, who you are within your family and who you are within the broader world. Um, but you also, children of that age still have this like wonderful sense of wonder right. and, and imagination. And so um, I, I love reading middle grade fiction. I read it not just because I like to write it, but because I enjoy it. And I think some of the authors um, that are out there today are doing just remarkable things um, in that kind of category age group and then the different genres within the middle grade age group. So I don't really dabble in YA yet. The whole idea of like crossing the puberty threshold is, is a little <laughs> frightening to me. Yeah. Um, but um, and in terms of your question regarding kids, I was actually three months pregnant when I started writing this book. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my daughters have been a part of this process from like the early seedling stages, quite literally. <laughs> and so now it's fun for them to go along this ride with me. And they're excited to see the book on the shelves in the library. And um, they like to play 
book publishing sometimes where they, you know, review each other's manuscripts in the playroom <laughs> and, you know, their doodles and um, they have little fake, they call them decisions meetings, which are like acquisitions <laughs> meetings where they try to decide what books they're going to put on their shelves. That's it's, awesome. It's neat that that's become a part of their childhood right. because of the side of my life too. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned earlier, and I'm interested to hear, you wrote your first chapter and then that ended up becoming the first chapter. Now that's kind of a rarity because uh, a lot of times... With some improvements. You know, yeah. the first line changed. You know, there were some changes along the way. But yeah, for the most part, I mean, the book has gone through, I can't even count how many rounds of revisions, but that first chapter mainly stayed intact. So nice. that was kind of a, a neat... So anchor. you wrote the first chapter, you had an idea, and then um, what does that look like? You, do you print out your you know, draft and sort of sit with it? Do you, like some people, throw it in a drawer? Uh, does it stay on your computer? Is that when you went to your critique group? Were they the second people to look at it, or had you done something with it? So almost the, the pain, not too painstaking, but yeah. sort of what is the real painstaking process like of, actually of actually writing yeah. and getting something from... Uh, an idea at Big Sur to uh, a book on the table, and you, you said it was five years. So, yeah, just about um, five years. Yeah. You know, what does that kind of look like in a capsule? <laughs> okay, <laughs> so let me th well, it's interesting because so it started with this chapter at Big Sur, and then I got home and I was pretty jazzed about it. So I showed it to my critique group. I was in a critique group out in Western Mass at the time with some really wonderful people, and I'm still in touch with a lot of them. And they gave me some great feedback, um, and so I developed it. But at the but I was also pregnant at the time, so and still working full time. Um, and so you know the time mm -hmm. and the energy to write was like dwindling. And then <laughs> with the arrival of my daughter, the sleep deprivation sets in, and so it it was a slow process. It's kind of all a blur for about a year and a half. <laughs> like <laughs> like I said, I would write during naps when I could, um, and then when I finally got a draft that I felt was strong enough. Um, my husband read it and I had a few other what are called beta readers, so people who read the early versions of it. And okay. once it sort of got that A-OK, -okay, I felt like it was ready to query. And so unlike my very first uh, manuscript that I told you about, which got mm -hmm. rejected you know, a bazillion times, this one I sent out um, to agents and within six minutes I got an agent requesting the full. And of course wow. I'm like freaking out, you know. Right. And then slowly after I got a few more full requests and ended up getting a couple of offers of representation. So signing with an agent, then we went through and revised the whole thing again. And most of this process has been happening, like you're asking the medium, whether mm -hmm. it's handwritten or on the computer. I tend to revise mostly on the computer. I'll print things out at different stages. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I print out pages on like quarter size sheets and cut them up so they're like you need a, ma you know, a, <laughs> a magnifying glass to even read them but it's more just to see the whole expanse of it and I spread it out on the floor and it takes up the entire you know wow. living room or something um, but yeah just revising and revising and revising <laughs> until, right. until it got and so ready. you started querying now you at least had experience with that from your first book so yeah. Did you just take those same names that you had used before, or how did you come up with the names of the agents that you'd query? The agents, um, I used a couple different resources. Some were the same as the first round. There were definitely a few that were kind of on my agent wish list or people that I saw that were representing a lot of authors that I really admired or were um, you know, selling a lot of novels. You can look on uh, Publishers uh, Weekly has you know, a rights report they publish twice a week, and you can see who's selling what. and um, so that was definitely a point of reference. I liked Query Tracker. If people are looking for a resource, it's a free um, resource online, and you can um, look up 
all different agents and what they're looking for and who they represent and what's the mm -hmm. submission policy. So that was, and it can also help you organize who you've sent stuff to. So right, that I can get confused. It can get very. I have like a million <laughs> spreadsheets on my computer, but Query Checker was good because it was all in one place. <laughs> and so, did you feel like you had a tailor? We never really talk about query letters on this show, yeah. but this might be an interesting thing since you have so much experience with it. Um, and I know that it mystifies people. Mm -hmm. uh, did you feel you had to sort of tailor each query letter to each agent? Like, did you have to research each? Or for some, did you just have a query letter that was a general one that you sent out? Or what did you feel um, you had to do and what maybe worked? Yeah. I, I always like to personalize the query. I don't like to send out just a generic batch. What I'll do is I'll have um, kind of a description of the story, sort of the... Um, the hook, they call it, mm -hmm. and which is a basic, kind of like a synopsis, but you don't tell them everything. You want to kind of still hook them and leave them wanting to read more. Um, when then like a little bio about myself, just really brief, a line or two. And then I always, the beginning of the query, I like to start with something personal. So, you know, I want to make sure that I've been reading um, the authors that this agent represents. And if I really loved a book, I want to mention that quickly and just say, you know, such and such, such, you know, really resonated with me for X, Y, and Z so that they know you've done some homework. Mm -hmm. um, you're not just like blasting this out to like every agent in New York City arbitrarily right. um, that you've done some, some work. And then also you want to find people that are going to be the right fit for you because if they do come around and offer you representation, mm -hmm. you want to make sure that they would be a proper fit for right. what you're looking for. Right. Uh, and so you got a bunch of agents that were interested. And so uh, what happens from there? Do you just respond to all of them? Or is that when you start to d dive deeper into the research of who would be the agent that would match best with you? Or Yeah, I had kind of a list of questions. I had a phone call with everyone that offered rep. Um, and you can get a lot, just that vibe, you know, whether it's just an easy conversation, if you're sort of on the same wavelength in terms mm -hmm. of the vision for this book, but also the whole career. I mean, you're hoping to sign with someone who's going to represent not just a single manuscript, but a body of work. Right. Um, for me, so I ended up signing with Krista Heschke at Macintosh and Otis, and um, I w felt strongly about going with Krista because, um, first of all, she runs the children's department at her agency, and so she's plugged into YA and picture books and middle grade. And even though I signed on a middle grade manuscript, I knew I wanted to also dabble in picture books and who knows maybe someday YA so that was great and she also represents fiction and nonfiction. but most of all it was because she's so editorial mm -hmm. and I really wanted someone that was going to give me that brutal honesty mm -hmm. and work with me on revisions to make a manuscript the strongest it could be before we then took it to that next step of pitching to publishers so I think the editorial piece is what really sold me on, on working with Krista. Right because some agents aren't so uh, in the weeds with the right. words, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. oh, sorry, go oh, ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so you had it uh, revised a million times. <laughs> a million and <laughs> some one. Some through your own critique group, and then did you, I know some people will pay to have an editor, or uh, I don't know, you can pay to have somebody actually go through it before you send it out. Did you do that sort of thing, or did you just do it on your own with your critique group, and then once it hit with the agent, uh, they did more on their end. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't hire an independent editor. Um, uh, aside from doing, I think an SCBWI critique at one of the spring conferences before I signed with um, Krista, which is nice. You get, I think, like the first ten or fifteen pages critiqued. It's a short thing, mm -hmm. but I didn't have someone look at the entire manuscript. That was really um, what Krista led me through okay. with our revisions. And then once we both felt like it was strong enough, then we came up with a list of editors to submit the manuscript to. 
and started the, uh, the submission process, which mm -hmm. is a whole new roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, having gone from your idea to actually having the book, do you feel like when you started this idea, it, did it end up where you thought it would? Did you even know where it would end up? Or how did, while you're writing it, did it sort of just write itself? Or, you know, what's that planning or not planning process look like as well yeah. for someone who's just starting a book? Should they know what the end's gonna be? Or, you know, how did it work out for you? So for this one, I think my process has changed a little since writing this one, but this one I was definitely more of a pantser. You know, there's two camps, oh, the right. plotters and that? the pantsers. <laughs> pantsers are just flying by the seat of their pants. You don't know what you're going to write until you sit down that day. Plotters are a lot more meticulous. They outline. I'm definitely a hybrid of the two. If I know too much about where the story's going, I find I get bored with it. Mm -hmm. But I do like to know kind of the end resolution and find different ways to work toward that. Um, so with this one, I, I sort of knew the ending. The ending shifted a little bit because I had some early beta readers who felt that it got tied up a little too cleanly. Like it felt like there should be some open-endedness. There should be a, a question that the readers are asking themselves at the very end to kind of continue the narrative beyond that last page, which I really liked. I liked that feedback, and so I kind of worked to change that ending a bit and make it not not so ambiguous, but just wanting leave you wanting more. I suppose. Um, and n now, since writing this, I find I'm getting more toward the outline phase just because I'm writing on a stricter schedule. I don't want every book to take me five years. <laughs> um, Did the actual I, writing take you five years? or Just the whole process. It's hard to right. say just because with having two children within that, you know, close together within that time frame. I don't know. You know, how the you narrative was so fractured, so that it, and my my schedule and my you know I went back to work and then I was on maternity leave and then I went back to work part time and then I stepped away. So it was kind of chaotic. So I I'm trying to be a lot more efficient about my writing time now that I feel like there is a bit of momentum and you know some headway um, with the book. I I want to be more productive and more proactive about how I use my writing time. Mm -hmm. And I also I'm on now I'm in a different situation where I'm actually on deadline. I have two other books scheduled for 2020 and 2021. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I can just take the next five years to write one of them. <laughs> I, I owe the publisher a book at a certain time. So that definitely changes the dynamic. So when they signed for this, they said, we'll sign for this, but you need to give us two more. So this is actually different. So work? this is the next two. I can't, I can't really say a whole lot about them yet because it hasn't been formally announced, but I can kind of talk vaguely. Um, so when this was on submission, which means making its rounds to the different publishers, that process took almost a year um, with so many rejections along the way. And we would pitch to new editors. And we heard really lovely feedback, but just nobody um, could make an offer on it. And so I actually kind of gave up hope on this one. And I thought it wasn't going to ever sell. And it was just, that's what it was. But mm. so I poured all of my energy into writing a new book during that time just to keep myself from going completely insane. <laughs> um, and so it, while this one was making its rounds, I actually finished an entire another manuscript, which just recently sold in a two-book deal. So that's sort different of how that came out. Different or publisher, same publisher, very different um, genre, same age group, but different format, different stories. So something kind of a diversion from, from right. the magic of Melville Orchard. Right. So you you saw where it was going to end. Did, was there anywhere along the way where you're, I mean, I know I felt this, <laughs> where you're thinking, why am I doing, like, why am I doing this? Uh, you know, I, how, like, I feel like I'm wasting my time because there's a lot of time that goes into writing. Did you ever feel like that? Or did you feel like this is, 
this is it you, and you never got stuck, was there any point where you sort of either got stuck or got down on yourself while you were actually writing the, the story? Definitely. There's a lot of times when you, yeah, feeling stuck and frustrated and, and, and just even coping with those rejections that I was talking about. Um, but I, I really do love writing. Um, it's, I don't want to give up. I feel like I've gotten too far at this point. I don't want to give it up and I, I really do love it. Um, and uh, yeah, I, what was the first part of your question? <laughs> Um, I think part of it is, did you get stuck? Oh, did like, I get were stuck? Were there any parts where, even though you knew the end of the mm -hmm. story, or you thought you had an idea of how you wanted it to end, did you ever get stuck on how is it going to get there, or yeah. you know, new characters or old characters, or you know, how to? Sometimes people talk about getting writer's block or yeah. get just you know, sort of losing themselves in the middle of a, of a book. Did the that saggy ever middle <laughs> is that they call it sometimes? Yeah, I think uh, one of the ways I kind of get through being stuck in a certain plot point or plot hole is to go for a walk outside. I find just kind of being in nature always helps. Um, and I often get really good ideas in the shower. <laughs> I think a lot of other authors I've talked to feel the same. Um, and just talking it through with, you know, friends, like my husband is a great sounding board, especially for plot stuff. He, mm -hmm. He's always able to be like, well, this would be more exciting or, you know, and like, oh, aha, that's what right. I was missing. But also that comes back to the critique group. Those are the kind of questions that I would, you know, either email my, you know, critique partners or bring to the, the most recent meeting and just say, can you guys help me work on this? Like, I'm so stuck. Is this, is this communicating what I think it's communicating or where could I go from here? Right. So just another reason to build that community around yourself because it's so helpful. Yeah. And so now when you bring it to your editors or your agent, uh, were there any parts where they wanted something to change and you were, you know, not ready to murder that darling or whatever? Yeah. Uh, you know, were there any really difficult decisions like that and how does that part play out? Um, one of the things we changed was the title of the book and I really did love the old title. Uh, it was called Chance Seedling, which is a botanical term that shows up in the book. Um, but everybody felt it was a little too obscure and now in retrospect I really agree with that decision. Um, you know, it was sales and marketing and my editor felt like it just wouldn't resonate with kids. They would not really understand what it was. Um, so that was kind of hard to let go of, but I'm glad we did. And there were a few other things in the story. The tree, the chint seedling grows some very interesting things from its boughs. And there were a few of those crops, I guess I'll call them, that had to get cut or altered a little bit mm. um, during the editing process. So, you know, that's always, you know, hard to deal with at first. but. I think my goal has always been to write the best book I could write, mm -hmm. and it's not just a solitary effort, even though so many days you're just you and your computer working alone, um, you know, when you engage an editor and an agent and a whole publishing house, there are a lot of other people involved in, in helping you shape that story. It's still your own, but it's, it becomes more of a collaborative effort. Right. Uh, so having gone from the beginning and honestly taking the journey of the story uh, in every way possible, what are some maybe pieces of advice or closing ideas or inspirations that you'd give to young writers or writers that are trying to get started and motivated? I think my biggest advice is to read. Um, read everything you can get your hands on. Read in whatever genre and age group you want to write in. I mean, I, like I said, I read tons of middle grade, but also read outside of that. Read nonfiction, read adult, read picture books. Um, I think that that's huge for me. And then write. I don't feel like any writing is wasted. Um, even if it never ends up in a book or nobody ever sees it, 
you don't know where that story or that character or that image will lead you. Um, so I really think even if you scrap a story like that first manuscript I wrote that no one will ever see again, who knows, it might be reincarnated someday and it <laughs> informs the way I write now. So it had a value and right. I would also say just don't give up. It's, you know, have a thick skin when you're putting yourself out there. Um, but also at the same time, have a thin skin in the sense of be open to suggestions and be open to feedback and, and be empathetic and, um, yeah, right. just keep going, <laughs> keep writing, <laughs> keep reading. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to reading it. Yes. Uh, and thank you for joining us, thank Rebecca you. Caprera. <laughs> uh, I think I pronounced it incorrectly at the beginning. Oh, nice. uh, but this was really interesting talking to you and finding out about middle grade and especially the magic of Melbourne Orchard, which looks really fun uh, and my kids will love reading it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me, Colleen. This was a blast. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, so if you're interested in joining us in the Room to Write, and uh, you're a writer, you can feel free to contact me at colleen at theroomtowrite.com. And uh, you can also check us out on podcast now. Uh, all these interviews are on podcast through uh, iTunes, Google Play, and, and Stitcher. So uh, thank you. Thanks so much.